So this is going to be a big, long podcast. It's going to be in a week of podcasts. When I spent at least two months processing this and thinking about it, trying to ground it, probably a little bit longer because it sort of goes with some of the writing that I've been doing that I'm keeping under wraps. So today is the first day of Ramadan. I have this big question in my head, like, why do I respect Ramadan and not Lent? I didn't grow up with either. And so it's funny, like, having not grown up with Lent, I still recognise that it has this horrible, oppressive energy every year. And it's part of the reason why Patrick's Day is also so ugly as well, because people break out from Lent. And they don't even realise that themselves. They don't even, like, it's... There's so few people that actually still practice Lent in the country. But yet it's still left that legacy behind. It's clothed on a lot of outside judgment. I really dislike judgment. And the difference during Ramadan is that there's such a support structure, a time of the day, each day, where there's a celebratory feeling, there's a community. For Lent, the statues are covered in black cloaks. I was so shocked to discover this only a few years ago. I went to light a candle of support for someone during this time and I discovered that I couldn't do that during Lent, which I didn't know, which is what I mean by I didn't grow up with it. My first experience of Ramadan, besides the students that I worked with in a college, was a number of years ago in Bilbao. I didn't realise that I had chosen to stay in a university campus that was located in the Muslim part of the city. And there was such a feeling of being embraced and welcomed into the shops in the evening. It was such a beautiful atmosphere. Like, I, I was there with my partner at the time and... Like there was no judgment of us and it was just this wonderful blessing in every interaction that we had. It was a really, it was a truly beautiful experience. And it was a moment that was totally devoid of any judgment of me. And I have a number of Muslim men friends who treat me with complete respect, despite my own identity. It's difficult yet again, like I've been horrified by the news reports taking me back to the time of the Iraq war 20 years ago. The situation that we're seeing the women of Afghanistan and Iran in currently. And I feel more deeply than ever that we can't superimpose our values, our education system on another culture. We see these white education systems as right. And each time a regime battles to, to take power again and to be in this kind of oppressive control, they particularly eradicate education for women. And this is a conversation I've been having around in the back right now for a number of months with people close. But it's not their true innate education. It's not the true knowledge of women that they're eradicating. And I feel that the only way forward involves us embracing that reality and encouraging a deeper connection again to the true knowledge that women have within themselves and have for each other. It involves us being big enough not to think that our Western ideal of education is always liberating and that it's always right. The fact that we, we take education away from women in that way is what we're really doing is we're taking the white way away from them. And that is being billed as being disempowering when I'm not convinced that, that that's the true story or the true essence. But that's so difficult. It involves 
it involves us really stepping outside of ourselves. It involves us embracing another culture. It involves us looking at another value set. It involves us not always thinking that we're right. It involves us not thinking that our way that we measure people or our education system offers people more potential. And again, during Black History Month, there was another story brought to my awareness. And I was thinking about this, like, story in Ireland has a very different meaning. It's not fiction, it's fact. It's like, we ask people, like, what's the story? Which means what's actually happening in your life? But it, this, this, this news article really brought an awareness. And in fact, I ended up going back and reading about it because I read a poem by June Jordan called No Poem. And it was about, I hope I say her name right, it was Joetha Collier, who was, she was shot dead on her school graduation night in 1971. It was a story that kind of submerged into the background because, I'll, I'll try to, to share the article in The Atlantic, it was quite well written and quite well looked into. But there was a sense that, that everybody wanted to feel that Mississippi was moving forward that it was 1971 was after a really ugly phase in the civil rights movement. Everybody wanted to believe that everything was better. They wanted to believe that there had been integration into white schools. And ironically, she wasn't the first family to be integrated into white schools. But the people who were the first families, who, who had been sharecroppers as well and who had lost their positions and their share crop holdings and gone through an extreme amount to send their children to, to white schools in the area. Those people would have known her very well and she was an amazing runner. She was an amazing student. She was an amazingly popular person. And she was dressed in this yellow dress, standing outside a diner on the night of her graduation. And a car full of white people drove past and just shot her for no other reason other than that she was black. And there was a, a complete lack of justice in the trial and in everything to do with it, which is not what I want to dwell on. What I want to dwell on in, in this is that often when white families push, you know, parents push their children to achieve and to do well, they have this aspiration for them for this place in society. But it's the sense, you know, that like even, even my own relations do this, which I, I can't stand. It's just, you know, oh, they live here and they have this house and they earn this much money and they have this job and, you know, they've ticked all the boxes. For her, her aspiration was to be a teacher. And that was not only to impact her whole community, but particularly to bring a whole new level of life to her whole family. So... It wasn't just that she died that evening, that she was murdered. All of their dreams and hopes were murdered with them, which is quite shocking. It's quite shocking to think about the pressure and the hopes of an entire family that rest on the shoulders of black people, particularly black women at times. The sheer need to give back. And it's, and it's so skewed in the mix. It's, it's so much to do better to to rise up the the whole secureness of your whole family but to do that within a white system to still remain integral to yourself within all of that mix while being measured and while in one sense feeling that you're doing better because you've done the white system 
And one of the aspects that I've been finding very difficult for the last number of years is that I'm finding it is taking me back to school. That every time I go into a room that I'm positioned, there are so many assumptions made and there's so much judgment that I feel of me. And that I'm, I'm put in this place of being this white woman. Then I literally break out in a rash. I, I, I haven't had this rash on my neck since I was in school. It's taking me back to my time in school where I didn't fit into school for a whole variety of reasons. I didn't fit into the world for a whole variety of reasons, which has started on another podcast series now. But I'm hypersensitive to the judgments and to the nose wrinkles and the hands over their face and a really big disconnect and a lack of presence for what I'm saying and not seeing me. And I have words that still roll round and round in my head till I find a way through them, till I find a way to transmute them and to, to find understanding for them. And what I'm going to say 99% of the people listening to this will hear it from a place of ego and say that I'm, I'm saying it from a place of arrogance. And it's really interesting because this is something that the young experienced a lot. And in fact, I've been going back to his letters in his, his red book, his Libra Novus, that he exchanged kind of with his own kind of sort of soul tribe where he was talking about how to bring his ideas into the world and how to shape them and... He really battled, I suppose, as well as a scientist, you know, and having an academic background in how to position himself spiritually and the cost of that. It's a lot about what I'm going through myself at the moment in my own journeys. But when I sit in these rooms and I sit in the judgments and the divides and I sit in all of the assumptions and I sit in the, the mix of what everyone's striving to think is right and to think that they've reached the right level in education and what that means. Like I don't even use my own titles or I try to say as little about my education as possible most of the time. But I feel like I'm in a room with a bunch of toddlers. I described this to someone only the other day that it seems like really bad manners to me. That I feel that everyone is not as present or they're not really seeing people, or they're not really listening, or they're not really trying to understand where someone else is speaking from, or what their life experiences might have been that mean that they speak from that place. In the same way as we're not trying to understand why women are being oppressed in the way they are, why the white Western education is the first thing we take off the table. There is so much that we don't bother to step outside ourselves. And I need everyone to, to grow up. The more work I do, the more I hold, the more I navigate, the more I support, the harder it is for me to be present in the judgments and the automatic positioning of me. It reminds me so much of school. It reminds me so much of my own white failed system where I was written off where I was bullied equally by the educators and the students. I was thumped so often in the back by one teacher that I have a lasting injury in my back. And I was only five and six when she did that to me. It was so small. But it was because I refused 
to be told what I could and I couldn't be do as a, as a person who was illiterate at the time. I need everyone to start to understand the complexities of what they superimpose on other people. What they bother to hear, what they bother to be present for, what they bother to listen to, what they assume. I need them to spend time unconditionally supporting people. Even the people who say really difficult things to them at times. I need them to spend time figuring out where those words were said from. I need there to be more presence and more manners in the world. I need you to respect other people's festivals and values. And I need you to question the conditions of your own, the ones that you grew up with in your own country. And where can you do all of that? Well, there's a course I'm going to link in this. It's a course that I truly believe that. I watch, I, I feel people in my own bodies squirm in what's being asked of them. And because I feel that, and because I know what's taking place on an energetic level and a physical level, because I'm experiencing the, the difficulties in it, because it's taking me back to school where I've already had to overcome so much to stay in my truth. Because it takes back to that ugly place I know that the work is being done. And so I'm going to link to a course that's starting very soon called the Embodied Social Justice Program. I don't think I've said that wrong. I don't think it, I think it's, it's Embodied Social Justice Certificate. And yes, it sounds arrogant to say that I need people to do something so that I want to be in the same room as them. But I do. I really do. I've just got to that place in life. It doesn't mean that I don't do all of the work and I don't meet people and but I'm start I'm I'm starting to find it more and more difficult to suffer the physical impacts of being present for work that's not done. And you can't do this work for people. They have to do it for themselves. And I guess with my own journey that's taking place on the asides to this, I'm becoming more and more sensitive and more and more aware of the energetics in rooms. So it's making it more and more difficult for me to keep showing up when the work hasn't been done.